Welcome to the Let's Get Disruptive podcast. My name is Sean McCleary. I'm excited to bring together some of the leading figures in the tech community to discuss some of the disruptions they've come across in their careers. Whilst it's great to talk about successes, and there will be plenty of achievements discussed on these podcasts, I'm also a big believer that some of our best learnings come from adapting and overcoming challenges. So we'll be exploring our guests' personal challenges, discussing things they've had to come um, from a business perspective, and also covering the many challenges around recruiting and retaining the best people. Our objective is to provoke thought and around the topical industry challenges and empower listeners with the insight and wisdom from people who have been there, done it, and in fact are still doing it with some of the most disruptive organisations out there. I'm generally excited and also intrigued um, by our next guest to the Let's Get Disruptive podcast, Tim Benjamin, the Infinity Work Storyteller. Hello. Hello, Tim. Um, Tim is clearly a man of many talents. Um, you compose music for film and TV, as well as creating new opera. Um, your work is broadcast, recorded and performed in many countries by all kinds of people, um, but not least of all the opera company Radius Opera, of which I believe you're the artistic director. In fact, The Guardian commented on your work for stage and screen, and I quote, Benjamin, dis um, Benjamin directs with considerable theatrical flair. Hopefully we'll see some of that theatrical flair today, <laughs> Tim. Um, Tim is a public speaker and speaking mentor. I know that you visit schools, colleges and universities to speak to music students. And you've given a TED talk uh, on the subject of inspiration. Um, lastly, but certainly not leastly, you are a tech entrepreneur setting up and being involved in various businesses um, over your time, including digital cable TV, e-learning and cloud-based publishing startups. Thanks for joining us, Tim. You're welcome. So, so what do you do in your spare time? <laughs> well, spare time. <laughs> well, I, I like the outdoors. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've uh, although children have got in the way of this a little bit, I used to do a lot of mountaineering uh, and, and ski, skiing and ski mountaineering, that kind of thing. Anything that involves the wilderness, don't like ski resorts, but uh, put on some skins, go up a big mountain somewhere. Uh, get away from it all. Amazing. I can't believe you get any spare time, really. So I think, obviously, the, 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 the bit I'd like to start on is um, the opening line from your LinkedIn profile, because I think it's possibly the best combination in a title I've come across. So it says, um, composer plus director plus tech entrepreneur equals storyteller. Can you expand on that for me, Tim? Yeah, sure. So... At Infinity Works, I am the in-house storyteller, which is a, a very nice title to have, uh, but it's, a, it's quite a mysterious title. So I do a lot of things from um, coaching people with talks to getting the, the insights out of uh, the, the, the real expert level people they have there uh, and trying to, to communicate that to the outside world in the best possible way. So as a composer, I do quite a lot of that as well, which which might not be an intuitive thing to, to deduce, but a lot of what a composer does, some of it, it clearly is writing music, but that's probably about 25%. Right. Um, a lot of it, I'm convincing people to do something. I'm putting together a project, making that project happen, communicating with lots of other people, whether they are performers or um, organizers of festivals, all of those kind of things. Uh, and a lot of those type of skills are really useful if you're a tech entrepreneur as well, because you're convincing people that your idea is a good idea and that they're going to take part in it when they are taking part in it, that, you know, they're, they're getting the best out of themselves. 
So all of those things, I think, come together. Yeah, clearly, being a theatre director or a film director, which I also do, um, is exactly that. You're trying to extract from people their best possible performance. Um, yeah, so so that's that's how I put together those things to be <laughs> the first line amazing, of my profile. Amazing, there. I love it. And what I aim to do on this podcast, or certainly to start with, is break that Tim Benjamin formula down into its different parts, if that's okay. So let's start with the composer side of things. Um, you've got a PhD in music from the University of Oxford, um, and you compose music for film and TV. So yeah, tell us about your, your musical background, Tim, and, and how that all started. Uh, well, that started right from the very beginning um, as, as a kid, pretty much. So in those days, you could have free music lessons at school. So I, I, I had that and I took the trombone. And once I got at home and they are given me some things to, to practice, I thought, these are boring, don't like these. I'm going to write my own. Yeah. So that was the first bit of music that wow. I wrote. So wow. I had to write something for myself. What age were you at there, roughly? Uh, about nine, eight, wow. nine, something like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I really got into writing things. Um, I just enjoyed that above all else. And I ended up winning this Young Musician of the Year Composers Award Prize at the tender age of 17, I think. Wow. And yeah, I, I got into ended up doing a lot of TV programs around that. Um, and, and ever since really, I've, I've been carrying on to write music. And these days I do quite a lot of um, production music, yeah. uh, as well as bespoke music for, for TV programs, for films, that sort of thing, as well as a lot of classical music for the concert hall. Um, operas is that the main thing that I've got into I think yeah. 11 operas now that have been on and toured <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> And we've just made a feature film of one of them as well. Amazing. So, so that's just finished and that is, uh, has been a great weight off my shoulders. That's been a very, uh, very hard project, uh, but really worthwhile. Uh, and we're going to see that out in the cinemas um, and festivals all over the place over the coming year. Uh, what's it called? I'll have to look out for that. It's called The Fire of Olympus. Okay. And it's got this funny subtitle. So The Fire of Olympus or On Sticking It to the Man. Okay. <laughs> it's about, uh, if you're a rebel against the, the authorities, what might happen to you and, and what you might get from it. So okay. it's, it un uncovers all of these types of things, but in the, in the context of a Greek legend that's brought into the present day. Wow. Wow. Okay. And it's great to see you've kept your passion for music, you know, all, all the years. And interestingly enough, alongside my role in recruitment, um, I've always had a passion for music. Um, been a professional DJ for 10 years of my career. However, I must admit the talents of playing someone else's records <laughs> versus moving, you know, making your own are not the same. But what, what I have, I've really found um, since transferring into the tech space and speaking to people into tech, there seems to be that link between music and the crea creativity around music and also tech. Um, have you found that music and technology are quite closely linked together? It's amazing. Yes. In Infinity Works, I gave a talk um, early in my time there about uh, about music, about big music and big data, I call it. Wow. Uh, drawing some comparisons between those two topics. And afterwards, so many people from Infinity Works consultants came up to me and go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a musician. I, I play the guitar, I play the organ, I play, you know, this, that and the other. Uh, and and there are umpteen uh, musicians of all walks, you know, from rock to classical. Uh, it does seem does seem to attract musicians, yeah, yeah, for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's trying to understand how things work, uh, as well as trying to be creative with that understanding. Yeah, that's you know, it's quite a broad comparison, but it, it, there does seem to be a quite quite a link. No, I the found two. the same, and you know, I think more and more if you think about music and technology. 
as as technology is progressing, you're talking about you know virtual reality, holograms of performances, etc. It seems there is a real common link between the two growing together. So that's good to see. Um, on the director side of things, there then. So you're an artic, artistic director at the Radius Opera. What part does being a director play in the makeup of Tim Benjamin? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, for me being a director is about having a vision for how you see something, yeah, and then trying to make that a reality by convincing other people that it's a, a cool idea, and. That's very similar to being an entrepreneur. It's very similar to being a composer, as I said. If you have an idea, it's no good at just staying in your mind. You need to make it come out. Otherwise, it's just it's just a thought, isn't it? It's not a reality. So I think being a director, it, it really is about making something real. Yep. Simple as that, really. Yep. And, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So when have you had to give us an example? When have you had to do that in the past? Get people on board with your ideas as a director? Well, I just think... So... Well, there was a film I directed um, about, which was quite an unusual type of thing. It it was about a a young couple who had met on a dating website, and uh, this starts off as what seems to be a straightforward thing. They're filming a promo for the website because they're a success story. Yeah. But then halfway through this this interview, there's a an, an alien thing lands, <laughs> and then one of them uh, disappears. They're abducted, but you know it's not a typical alien abduction story because normally that's just someone has a missing time and then they come back and they don't know what's happened in that missing day. Yeah. But this uh, alien abduction was someone who's actually abducted out of history. Their entire past is erased. Okay, they cease to be. <laughs> so we go from this interview in this. Uh, it's a forest where they've done this location for this this happy couple. And then suddenly it goes from a success story to being someone trying to do a promotional video for themselves, for the website. Right. Uh, and and they're, they're describing their various likes and what they'd like to meet in their ideal partner, whereas before they'd been discussing how they'd found these exact things in their ideal match. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, quite, it's got a little bit of a twist at the end as well. So, so trying to uh, deal with a pretty... Well, not very straightforward. Yeah, two, two yeah, two two timelines, and and it's it gets a bit hectic in the middle when this alien device just lands in the middle of nowhere, uh, and it, so trying to to, to have a, a very straightforward idea of how you want to do that, and I wanted to do it all with just a single camera shot, you right. know, no no cutting. Uh, it's, it's very choreographed. So trying to do all that and then have this clear vision and then convey that to to the crew and to the team and to the actors. Uh, it's, it's, it's great, but that's an example. Of, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know what? I see a lot of similarities with what you're describing there with business owners or MDs or CEOs who are trying to get people bought into their company vision. Hopefully there's no alien abductions, but I think if you think about it, a lot of the... Have you met some of these people? <laughs> well, I have, actually, yeah, <laughs> I have. But if you think about it, and I'm sure you've met a lot in your time, some of, some of these entrepreneurs, a lot of their ideas are in the head or their view on their business is maybe not the same view as the people that's in their organization. So I totally get that um, artistic direction talent to actually bring them in on that story, that vision and, and bring them on the journey. So yeah, that's great to hear. And I suppose lastly then, but certainly not leastly, Tim, the tech entrepreneur. Um, I, I noted that you had, you, your first startup was back in 1999. Yeah. And you grew that from a standing start to 25 people with software deployed to millions of homes. 
Um, look, I, personally, I'm going through an experience of growing a business to 30 people. And I know that's no mean task to get a startup through, that, through those levels. So can you talk us through that journey and the challenges that you overcame during that process? Yeah, so really looking back on it, I was had no no viable qualifications at all. Why, what the hell was I thinking? You know, didn't know anything about, uh, you know, legal contracts, accounting, any of those sort of things, uh, how you hire people, all those kind of boring HR issues. I just had an idea and wanted to, to make it happen and managed to convince some other people it was a great idea, managed to convince some customers to buy it and it became successful. And some investors came in, they bought the company off me more or less. And, and and there we go, um, which is, it sounds nice and straightforward when you put it like that, but yeah, it really wasn't. It was, very, it was very, very difficult. You know, it didn't have a, a single moment off uh, for years, three years, three right. or four years. Working um, solidly during that time period. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and you're doing every single job. And, and that's, um, you know, running a small business and growing it like that, especially a high tech one where you're dealing with very big players as well, who have very high expectations of what they're going to buy. Um, but doing that and... and Doing something like directing an opera, you know, it, it's you're doing every little job that there is. There, you're, you know, you're kind of, you may even be cleaning the office before some you know, important people come. At you, and then you're writing some great big strategy document. You're doing every, every single job. Yeah. And, and I like to be able to try my hand every single job because then you understand how the thing how the thing works. Yeah. And when people say to, oh, I can't do this, I know you can because I've done it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important that, that you, you you at least try every single aspect of it so that I'd you agree. understand it in full. I'd agree. And what about the challenges around the people then? Because, you know, you, you, you are a good storyteller, so you obviously got people bought into your idea. But then the logistics of, in, in what I'm guessing is a competitive space back even back in 1999 to the battle for talent, how did you approach getting the best people in your business yeah. So, well, I think one thing you have to recognize with a startup is perhaps the first couple of people you bring in, they are, they've very much got that um, entrepreneurial spirit and, yeah. and and they're willing to put in the hours and they share the vision and maybe they become partners in the business as well. Yeah. But, you know, really after that point, when you're, you know, five, 10 people, it starts to become quite a buzzing office, but those people that, you know, it, it's a job for them. They might be a job they're committed to personally, but they're not, going to have quite the same drive as the entrepreneur is. It's not their kind of life or death for them. So you have to bear that in mind. And they've got different things that they want to see out of it. You know, they, they, don't want, they haven't got a, a kind of vision they want to make reality, which is the grand vision of the entrepreneur. They, they, they want to pay their mortgage and they want to have fun at work and they want to have a, a life outside of work, don't they? Yeah. So it's, it's recognizing that and, and, and treating those people with the, you know, the, the, the you know, respect for their their life outside of work, of which you give up as an entrepreneur, but yeah. they absolutely, that's what they're in work for, absolutely to for, live. Yeah. Okay. All right. And on the flip side of that, you've, you've also come into businesses as either um, you're kind of a mentor or an investor or a partner. Uh, what's the different challenge coming into a business that's already established, would you say, and, and adding value from you? How have you approached that challenge in your life? Well, it's every single time it's different. Yeah. Each company has its own ways. You spot certain patterns and you try to find where, it depends what you're brought in to do. If, if you're brought in to transform something with a very clear mission of making something happen, that's one thing. But sometimes you come in with, with a, a, you know, a slightly vaguer um, hope for what you might be able to do. And then you're trying to spot you know, where you can have it. And it really is different each time. It'd be impossible to try and give a, a one, one size fits all answer yeah, to that. Yeah. But, but you're, I, mean, I think with all of these companies, 
because generally I'm not, I'm not involved in you know manufacturing or factories or anything like that where where you can spot you know a physical process or can say well we can make this widget a better widget. Yeah. All of these companies are about people. Of course. And it's spotting how those people are communicating, how they're relating to each other. And those patterns are very similar each time. You know, you can spot what people's motivations are. I think that's that's really key. Yeah, brilliant. And look, I think a key theme for this podcast is about getting the best out of the people that are in whichever organisation. Um, and one of the things, questions I'd really interested in is is your take on, I suppose, hiring people that have got the right skills profile versus hiring people who've maybe got the right attitude and competencies. Where do you sit on that? Um, spectrum. Yeah, I very much think that you have to have the right personality fit almost before anything else, because, you know, there are people out there nowadays, there are people out there with, there are lots of, you know, programmers, for example, out there. There are some good ones and there are some bad ones. And there are people who are experienced. And there are people who have a little experience. Uh, but there, what, what are, what's really hard to find are people that have got great sort of work ethics that have got that aren't going to wind everyone else up you know that are going to turn up on time um and if they're brilliant as well then that's great yeah it's uh you know that there's this idea that you've got to be there are three things you can be on time you can be nice and you can be brilliant and you've got to be two of those <laughs> okay and then the other, one you, and the other one you can get away with <laughs> brilliant. brilliant so if you're on time yeah. and you're a really nice person to deal yeah. with to work with yeah then that's yeah, that's good enough. Yeah, you know, if you're brilliant and on time, <laughs> and, you're, and you're a bastard, then well, you know, <laughs> you can live with that. You can live with that. Yeah, yeah. But just one of those, I just just brilliant, but yeah. you're always late and you're, and you're hateful yeah, yeah. to work with. That's no good. That's good. Yeah, I really like that. Okay, and just being a nice person as well. It's not yeah. enough. Cool. Um, doing my research, I've got to admit, I was most impressed with your TED talk, something I'm really, you know, passionate about personally, and listening to it, and particularly the subjects of inspiration. Um, and I'd urge listeners to go out and listen to that. Um, talk us through how, how the opportunity came to talk on, to do a TED talk, Tim. Oh, right. Well, I had done some work for someone who was involved in what's called internal marketing. So he would work at a big company. I can't remember who he was with at the time, but he went to work at Vodafone. So he may have been at Vodafone at the time. Uh, and he was also involved in um, the City of Culture, the European City of Culture movement. Um, so he, he was French. So he had come from doing that in France. And then he got involved with doing that in, in Hull. Uh, in, and Hull were hosting TEDx. Yeah. And so through, I did some work for him at Vodafone as well. Um, but uh, around innovation and inspiration. And so, so a combination of those things. He said, I know this guy to them. And they said, he sounds perfect. Let's get him. So it's as simple as that. Brilliant. Really. Brilliant. And what would you pull out from I me? Mean, it's a 40 minute TED talk. So you can't go through all that now, but what would be the key messages you'd pull out around that inspiration? What I was trying to get at in the TED talk was that inspiration is not just a matter of sitting back and waiting for inspiration to strike. I think a lot of people will use that as an excuse to procrastinate and, and we're all kind of guilty of procrastination. Everything's got to be just right. And then maybe we can start to work and then we find something else more important to do, you know, look at Facebook or take a dog for a walk, wherever it might be. Of but uh, for me, I think there isn't, I was, I was trying to say in this controversially in this talk, there is no such thing as inspiration. It's just a matter of beginning. Yeah. Once you actually put, you know, pen to paper, as you type that first word, actually beginning and that's when ideas start to flow you know you've got to begin without beginning you know there is nothing yeah 
I love it. Um, one quote I picked out personally from the podcast was a quote from Renoir. Um, and you talked about the fact that he had spent his life making mistakes. Yeah. Um, which I thought was really good. And, and I think again, if bringing it back to this podcast, the objective here is to share people's lived mistakes, I suppose, so that other people can see how they've overcome them, overcome those challenges. What mistakes or challenges do you think you've learned from in your life? Yeah, well, I think with mistakes, uh, it's, you know, painting, as I think this, this example comes from, there's no such thing as mistakes, only opportunities yep. to do things differently, which is, yeah, that, that's quite a, a flippant thing to say, perhaps, because, you know, you, you can make you can make terrible mistakes in life. Perhaps you get involved in drugs or something like that. But once you get past uh, the, the period of mistake, and once you recognise, importantly, that a mistake has occurred, then you can you can build on it, and these are all things which make up our, our personalities and our, our characters. And if you can dwell on the positives or how some positive can be drawn out of, of, of something which might have, might have been a mistake, then I think that's how you improve yeah. as a person. So for me, I don't know. I mean, I, I've probably have made some mistakes of you know small mistakes, big mistakes, but I I, I, I kind of tend to. Look on them. I, I find it quite hard to think of them as yeah, mistakes yeah. now because you're trying to draw. Curve. Yeah, you, you draw out the positives, yeah. and, and it becomes hopefully a positive of part of of what you what you're doing. But yeah, I think I've maybe gone to work at wrong places, um, and and you know maybe you know spent well, cars. I mean, cars. There is a bit of that. You know, <laughs> uh, easy you, mistake you, to make. It's an easy mistake to make, and 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 then yeah, you think well, you know, would you would you do that again? Well, if I hadn't done that, then maybe I wouldn't be, something else would have changed, you know, yeah. butterfly effect yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in your life. So who yeah. knows? I really like that positive outlook, look at it as an opportunity and, and, and yeah, that's brilliant. Um, thinking about the industry then, and I think how tech in particular will evolve and some of the disruptions and challenges that you think would face. C can you talk us through some of the things you see coming in the tech community as p possible disruptors or challenges? Yeah, so I think there are, there are a few that I see um, happening, a few things I see happening. One is um, just the sheer number of people doing this now. Uh, when I started in tech, it was it was a very rare skill. Um, and, you know, there, there, were, there were kind of old school computer scientists around, but, but the web was really just starting. I mean, we're talking 1996, 97, when I got my first job yeah. uh, as, a, as a programmer. Um, and you know Netscape too. You know was the the cutting edge of, <laughs> of, of web browsers, and it was a very rare skill. And and you were actually getting a job was really straightforward. And you were people throw money at you to come work for them um, because you were in high demand. Now, nowadays, I think it's very very different. There are there are so many opportunities to to learn um, tech skills. You know, Code Academy, all all these all these places you know, for free. Yeah, very high quality. Uh, online learning materials. There's support everywhere, um, so it's it's much harder, I think, to, um, to to kind of forge the opportunities that I had right back in in the '90s. And I think it's much more about now about understanding how things connect together, how all the the huge great number of different tools, different programming languages, different techniques, how that all fits together in a bigger picture. Yeah. And the successful person, I think, will really understand how these things fit together, how things work together best, what the best practice is, yeah. and and keeps up to date with that. So it's much less about saying, right, well, I'm an expert in Java, or I'm an expert in you know Go or PHP, whatever the language might be, because those languages are, are, are coming and going very quickly. But the techniques yeah. and the the way things 
fit together is what is constant. And that's, that's really where the value is. Yeah, I completely agree. I think a lot more of our clients these days in from a recruitment point of view are asking for people to almost be agnostic with the programming languages, because ultimately, as you say, the kind of principles behind it are what everybody's looking for. So it's good to hear that. Something I, I, I saw you talk about previously and I wanted to pull up with you was around climate change. Um, and a really interesting concept actually that, a lot of people would associate technology with reducing climate change, but actually as the use of tech and these big digital um, footprints are increasing, it's actually impacting climate change. And I think if we go back to um, a really topical point on music, for example, you know, climate change is so important that Coldplay, probably the biggest band in the world, have come out and said they're, they're going to stop touring until we can actually get this, you know, they can become carbon neutral interestingly um but um technology can have an impact on on people's carbon footprint so what, what's your take on that yeah well it's it's something that is underappreciated because we don't see you know huge power stations belching out smoke and you know we're, we're in a we're in a part of manchester now in ancoats which actually when i grew up um i've spent some of my uh, years in manchester and this was all you know the, the buildings were, were, were still blackened nice. with smoke and you know, this is a part of manchester you didn't really come to you yeah. know? <laughs> it was very much old industrial um yep. but it's, it's beautiful now uh, but because you don't see all those smokestacks uh, arising from industry you don't really appreciate that actually a huge amount of industry is going on in this very part of of, of ancoats and manchester and what's where is they where where are the kind of polluting outcomes of that well it's it's not here it's somewhere further away in the and, cloud as they say yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but you, you know you can you can sit here we can sit here, you know a few of us sit in an office and we can fire up uh, some huge number of instances on aws for example yeah and that's in a data somewhere in the world a huge amount of energy is suddenly being expended at the flick of a button and because it doesn't happen here, we don't see it. And, and people don't necessarily fully understand the amount of energy it's taking to keep our digital world alive. Yeah. And at some point, there's going to be a reckoning, um, because, you know, because we're not, as, as things become much more focused on the online world and digital world, that's that that's a serious amount of power is being used. Yeah. And certain amount of carbon is being generated. Uh, a serious amount of energy has to be found from somewhere to power all of this. And... It's the kind of power which could come from renewable sources much more easily than, for example, if you've got to physically move a piece of machinery around, uh, you know, cars, ships, in aeroplanes, they're kind of very much more dependent on fossil fuels. However, a lot of the Internet's traffic does flow through very few central nodes, and a lot of those central nodes are powered very much by old-fashioned uh, power stations, yeah. not really renewable energy. You know, when, when you just pull up a web page, all of those little adverts pop up, all these little connections are made to to other servers all over the world. There's there's some serious energy going on just by looking at one kind of YouTube video, one Google page of results, or one page on a, on, a, on a news website. All of these things are being triggered off. And I think at some point, yeah, there's going to be a reckoning. We've got to recognize that you know, we're just using the world's free energy at the moment to do these things. Uh, I think we need to, to be a bit more diligent about how we're doing that and, and think it through a bit more because the rate things are increasing at some point, something's, there's going to, a point's going to be reached where yeah, we can't go any further. Well, to put it into context, you know, I explored that a little bit further myself and according to a stat I read, um, transmission of data via, via the internet 
is contributing to 4% of the greenhouse gas emissions. I think... Which, which when you can... That, that's a figure which is, which is well known, and that's growing rapidly. But you compare that to the um, airline industry, that's 3%. So, you know, yeah. it's outstripped that. Well, actually, global shipping. Yeah, to try know. and put it into some context, and you men mentioned fossil fuels earlier. I thought at the start I saw from Weissman, they're a kind of international manufacturer, was that 60 seconds on the internet across the world is equivalent to burning over 232,000 kilograms of coal. Right. So just picture that in your mind. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it was surprising for me to see that stat. So completely agree with you. Something we've got to think about. But it, it's something which um, doesn't need to be doom and gloom. I'm not saying we should all, you know, ration the amount of web use we've got or anything like that. You know, the, the, if we're technologists, we can find technological solutions, you know, find uh, you know, unlimited sources of clean power. These things are, are within our grasp. And, you know, maybe it's not something that you and I can and go out and solve right now, but it's, it's important to be passionate about these things and, and always asking the questions and have curious minds. And the solutions are out there. We don't have to live in the Middle Ages, you know, destroy everything to go back backwards. We can move forwards, but yeah. we can find these solutions. Definitely. They are out there. Started by appreciating it, as you say. Um, like, look, to finish off, Tim, um, I always like to try and finish off on a quote or a concept that's helped you approach a challenge in your life. So um, what would you, if you think about a quote that you you would draw back on that approaches a challenge or a principle? I mean, something I, I did pick up in, in my research into you was the five whys as a bit of a concept. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to tell me how that actually goes in and what that would sound like as a quote. Oh yeah, well that, that's not, it's not really, it's, it's not a quote, but I'll, I'll give it to you. But um, the idea of the five whys is that if you have a, a problem that you come across uh, or something happens, you know, something goes wrong in, um, in, in, a, in a business or in an application, whatever it might be. And, and, and this is quite a, a tech thing. So if, if you have a, a bug appears or if a system falls over, you ask why. And you keep asking why until you get to what's called a broken process. And interestingly, uh, this process of asking why, you usually end up, inevitably, you ask why five times, and each each time you'll find uh, it reveals something else, it reveals something else. And finally, the fifth why, you get, ah, there it is. There's a broken process that I can fix. So you could say that as, why, 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 why? Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Okay, brilliant. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for your time. Really inspirational. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening to the Let's Get Disruptive podcast. Our guest on the podcast, Tim Benjamin, will be hosting our upcoming Let's Get Disruptive webinar on Wednesday, the 8th of April, in partnership with Infinity Works. To register, click the link in the show notes.